countdown to school continues. <laughs> How many of you guys are super excited to go back to school? No, then that's a lie, because like three people tonight are like, man, I can't wait for school. I'm so bored. I'm just sitting around my house doing nothing, and now you're embarrassed to admit it, right? Some of you guys miss school. It's okay. It's all right to be a nerd. It's sweet. So, hey, look at it. I can walk. Woo! I'm walking. Yeah! Look at this. I'm so excited to be able to walk. It's so nice. I, it was weird, though, like, as I was healing from surgery right after surgery, I didn't realize, like, the little things that you take for granted that you can't actually do when your knee doesn't work, like, get up and get a drink, or, so, like, there's this little, like, how many of you guys have, like, a walk-in shower? Anybody have, like, a walk-in shower? You get, like, that little stoop thing that's, like, this big you probably don't even know is there, so, like, even taking a shower for me was so tricky because, like, I thought I was cool, I was gonna, like, take my shower, and then I looked down, and it's only, like, that tall, it's, like, two inches tall, and I, like, couldn't get my leg over it. I felt so humiliated. It's two inches, and I couldn't get my leg over that thing just because of my knee. It was crazy, like, the little things that one little piece of my body was injured and, like, I couldn't do. I mean, there were all sorts of things like that that I was discovering and felt so humiliated about. And so, listen, tonight we're going to take a break from Hebrews. We went through the first four chapters, and uh, now we're going to do a couple weeks. We're looking at what the body of Christ is. And some of you guys might be asking, like, I hear that. I hear it preached to church. Sometimes we hear it, like, from the stage. But what is the body of Christ. Is that literally like his body? And so I wanted to be able to walk for a couple of weeks with you through a couple of verses that help us understand what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. And like, what even is it? And it's super important for you to know this because some of you guys are like, man, I believe in Jesus. I'm not ashamed of him. I love him. I love being a part of my church. And so for you, it's important that you know what you're a part of, right? That you are literally a part of this thing we call the body of Christ. So for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at what that means. And tonight we're in Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, and it's going to talk about kind of the, what I just talked about with me with surgery, how the body all has to work together, right? And so you're imagining like the church, and not just like here, that we're part of it on this campus, but across the entire world. People that profess Jesus, that are baptized, that come forward and say like, I want to serve Christ. We're part of this body, this thing, this organism that serves Jesus. And we're all different parts. And when one of those parts is injured or hurts or isn't doing its job, just like me with my knee, it's crazy how like even the smallest things become obstacles. And so we want the body of Christ to be working together. So look with me, Ephesians chapter four is where we're at tonight, verses 11 to 16. It says this, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we have all reached unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of doctrine, by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. 
And so in Ephesians, Paul tells us in verse 11 right there, he starts off right away with something really important. Don't miss it. Don't just read right past it and jump into the passage. Look what he says, those first couple words. He says, so Christ himself gave. That's really important. He's like, where does this body come from? Like, how is it here? How does it exist? And literally he tells us that Christ is the one who gives us this body. This is a work that only Jesus can do. You know why that's really important? Because some people might think that they can just go do their own thing, do lots of good deeds, start a little group of people and do like, like a little support group, and that's church. Like we're, we're doing God's work. We are like the body of Jesus. But he's like, no, 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 that's not, that's not how you become the body of Christ. Like, it's through Jesus. It's a gift of Jesus. It's not just doing good deeds and encouraging each other. That's, that's part of it. But this thing has to start with your heart in love with Christ. This thing starts when we go before Jesus and we're like, hey, I'm going to lay my whole life down before you. Which is why for the last like eight, ten weeks, we looked at Hebrews that said Jesus is better than everything. And what he wants us to do when we enter that rest is go, Jesus, here's my whole life. The entire thing belongs to you. I'm not holding pieces back. And when we do that, we, get, we become part of his body. And he grows this thing. It's cool because like you might think, hey, I get saved and then all of a sudden I just I sit around. I chill. I'm good until Jesus comes back. He's going to do his thing. I'm just going to do my thing here. Like we're in some sort of waiting room. Any gamers in the room? Anybody like video games in the room? People like video games? Yeah, right? My like least favorite part of that is when you sit in the little waiting room before the game starts and you're just chilling, like waiting and waiting and everybody's just like shooting each other and just being dumb. And like, it's just craziness and you're waiting. And sometimes we think of like Jesus, he's done the work, right? He's, and we're just, we're in that waiting room. We're just chilling. And it doesn't really matter what we do. We can just run all over the place and just be crazy, but that's not how this thing's designed. He's right away, look, it says, so Christ himself gave. Jesus is like, I have a mission for you already. You don't have to wait till I come back. When you believe in Jesus, he's already looked at you and said, I have some gifts for you. And he puts some spiritual gifts inside of you. He's like, I've designed you to be a certain way. And I'm molding you and forming you with my spirit to serve me in this way as this part of his body. You know why? Because you're part of his mission. He's got something big for you to do. How many of you guys knew that tonight? God has a big plan for you. And he's looking down. He's like, you trusted me? You said, here we go, Jesus, I'm following. So here's what I want you to do. Sometimes we do that, right? But then we get surprised when Jesus is like, all right, this is it. And we're like, wait, I was just kind of saying I'm going to follow you. But now you're actually expecting me to do it. And he's like, yeah, absolutely. You're part of my body. Let's go. Be a part of my mission. And he's got a big mission and a big plan for you. He, he himself gave. So Jesus is intentionally gifting those of us who follow him. And here's what he says. Specifically in the church, he lists a couple different roles that he gave. And the first one, it says the apostles. And the apostles are these men who have hearts to go plant churches, to start new works. Right? These are the guys who go out into cities that have no church, cities that are just like totally lost. And they go in the middle of all these people that don't believe in Jesus, might not even know the Bible. And they bring the truth of the gospel to that place and start these new baby churches. Right? These guys have a passion to go onto the mission field, maybe to go to another country, 
These are the guys who are going where the gospel isn't, and they're bringing it, and they're starting to like plant these new churches, and they're a blessing to the church. Some of you guys have hearts in you that are like an apostle's heart. I say the word mission, and you guys are like, let's go. Where are we going? Let's like go share the gospel with people. Like I can see it as your eyes light up when we talk about Guatemala or Africa or some of these other trips that students are going on, and you're like, man, I love that God is sending people to bring the gospel to other places. That's because he's given you this apostle heart, right? And then he says this, the, the prophets. So he's given prophets. You're like, what's a prophet? I remember like Elijah in the Old Testament, right? He was a prophet and all these prophets did like these crazy things in the Old Testament. But what he's talking about prophets here, what he's, what he's saying is that there are men who get up and they preach the truth. They speak a message on behalf of God to the people. And so these are people who are teaching God's word boldly they're calling out the church where it needs to be called out. They're, they're walking around bringing truth in probably difficult times to do that. I feel like right now is a super difficult time in our culture to talk about truth. You get canceled, right? You get called all sorts of things. You get all these like, man, it's just not good. It's a difficult time to stand for truth. But a prophet's heart would say, I don't care what the world's going to say to me or what it's going to do to me. I'm going to bring truth to these people. I'm going to bring God's vision to a church, and they're a blessing to God's body. Another one is the evangelists, and these are people who just can't stop talking about Jesus, right? Evangelists are like, I need to tell everybody that there's a way to heaven, and they can have it, and his name's Jesus, right? An evangelist has a heart that just constantly wants to go tell people that their sins can be forgiven, that Jesus loves them, that if they hand their life over to Christ, they can be saved and forgiven. That's the heart of an evangelist, and it's so important that the body of Christ has people like that. And this last one, it, it listed as two, but sometimes we take it, it just as one, one um, role. It's pastors and teachers, or pastor teachers. These, these people that come alongside the church and walk through difficult times with them. They disciple people. They love people. They visit people in the hospital. They teach God's word. A pastor teacher is somebody who we would today call a pastor, right? In our churches, we kind of refer to guys with that gift as pastors. And they're super important too because they help us walk on the path that God's laid out for us. And when we walk off that path, they're coming alongside and saying, hey, get back on the path. Hey, I see where you're headed. That's not going to be good. Jump back on the path. God's word says this, follow Jesus. And they're there to lovingly shepherd and walk with you. These are some big, big roles. Like God has blessed the church with these type of people. Now, some people expect their pastor to be all of these things, right? Church leader, going to have all of these things. And he doesn't necessarily say that one guy is going to have all of those gifts. But he might be strong in one more than the others. But here's the deal. They're all called to do the same thing. Look at verse 12. It says, to equip his people. That's us, right? So our pastors are called to our church to equip us. And you're like, what's the word equip mean? That's a great question. The word equip means like build us up, prepare us, teach us. Why do I need to be taught? What is it that I'm being prepared for? Isn't it his job? Like he's the pastor. He should be doing ministry, but that's not what we see in the passage. This passage talks about you. Those guys that he just mentioned, these pastors, these leaders, They're there to help you do something really awesome. 
to grow you and equip you as the body of Christ. And look what it says. To equip his people for works of service. What do you think we're supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be serving. Serve the world around us. That word serve is the word diakonia, right? That's a fun word to say. That's why I wanted to share it with you. The Greek word is diakonia. If you spit a little bit when you say that, like hakalugi, it's so much fun to say. So try it later. Don't do it now because we don't want spit on people's, like the back of people's heads. But it's a fun word and it means service, right? Diakonia sounds a lot like the word deacon, right? Diakonia, deacon. And so we have deacons in our church. So you might think, oh, serving. That's it. The deacons do that. That's their job, right? They're the servants. That's not what the passage said. It's funny how we always want to be like, that's that person's job. When Jesus keeps looking back at us and saying, it's your job. I've got this big plan and this big mission for you to do. And these works of service, guess who he's calling to do it? You. Wait, us? We're high schoolers, middle schoolers. Like, we're a youth group. What are we going to do? Maybe you should stop and ask him that question. Because he's already got plans for you. He's waiting for you to go, God, what, what is it you're calling me to do? What's the acts of service in my life that you want me to do? How do you want me to be the body of Christ at school? In a couple weeks, by the way, you'll be back there. In school, <laughs> right? How about during the summer with your family or your friends or people you're hanging out with or playing sports with, people in your community? Who are you serving? It's interesting if you say nobody because, like, literally you're called by Jesus to do this very thing, to serve other people. Are you serving anyone? Anyone beside yourself? Are you responding to that call of Jesus and saying, hey, Lord, tell me who you want me to serve today? Is there a kid in my class? Is there someone in my family who needs to hear the gospel? Or maybe my parents just need me to, like, serve them this week, to do some extra chores, to love them, to, to, like, to show them that I can serve as their child. There's so many ways that God could use you to serve, but are you bothering to even stop and go, hey, Lord, what is it you're calling me to do? It might surprise you because he has some big plans for each of us. So he's calling us to these works of service. And he says this, so that the body of Christ may be built up. Wait, isn't it the pastor's job to build up the body? No, it's his job to equip people. Well, what about the deacons? They're servants, right? So they're supposed to be serving. They should be doing this. Nope. He says that the body is called to build itself up. That's us. These acts of service are so that we can look to your left and right and go, how can I serve you today? What can I do for you this week? How can I pray for you? So you might be wondering, hey, why do we do life groups almost every single Wednesday? Like, why do we do service and then go do life groups? Here's why. We come up here and we hear the word, and then we go to these smaller groups where we can process it. We could talk about what we just heard. We can encourage each other in doing that. We can pray for each other, find out what's going on in people's lives in our group and love them well and serve them. And you know what we're doing? We're lifting each other up. We're applying God's word to each other's lives and to our own lives. And we're helping each other with love. Say, hey, what do you need this week? Is everything all right at home? Is everything okay in your family? You came this week and looked a little bit down. You don't look like everything's cool. Is there a way I can pray for you or serve you? Is there something I can do for you this week? 
Is that ever a thought in your mind when you see another student walk in firehouse or school and they just look like, man, they have had a morning. What is it that God's calling me to do to love them well? Is there a way I could serve them? And even more so when it's us, when it's the body of believers, people that say, I believe in Jesus, we're called to literally serve each other so we can lift each other up. That's why we do life group. That's why we have Sunday school. So you have opportunities to do that. Then verse 13 tells us this. Until we all reach unity in the faith. You know, like the point of this is for us to realize what we're fighting for, what we're working toward together, that there's this common goal. You know, his name is Jesus, right? It shouldn't be a surprise. The fact that Jesus is our savior. The fact that Jesus looked at you and said like, hey, you're broken. You have sin in your heart. You're not perfect. But I love you just the way you are. And I want to help forgive that sin and change you from the inside out and make you look more like me. And you know, he did that for every single one of us. Some of us have trusted it and believed and been saved and others are still like thinking about it or pushing it off. But that's the same thing he offers to each of us. So it's this common goal we have to say, let's go tell people that. Like, that's the best news I've ever heard. Jesus doesn't just look at me and go, you're trash. I don't want you. Look at what you've done and remind me of my past. He doesn't do that. Jesus looks at me and says, Rob, you're broken, but I love you. And I'm going to make you more like me if you trust me. And he does the same for you. And you know what? That's that commonality that we have, that thing that brings us together behind the cross of Jesus. And it says, let's go tell other people they can have that too. Let's show them the love of Jesus by the way we serve them and interact with them. And we reach this unity because we truly believe Jesus is who he says he is. Like we studied in Hebrews, we truly believe he's better than everything. There's nothing in life we're going to encounter that's better than Christ. And it brings us into this unity of faith. You guys have been hearing us talking about this Guatemala trip coming up. And you know, I've gone for a long time. I've been going and going and going since I was like 16 to Guatemala. And we planted some churches down there, our group has. And there was this one pastor in the middle of the jungle. His name was Jorge. And Jorge was like, he's basically imagine the opposite of me. That's Jorge, right? He's tall. He's skinny. He's like dark skinned. He's, uh, you know, he speaks Kekchi. Like everything opposite of me, this is who Jorge is. But over time, Jorge got saved. He loved Jesus. He learned the Bible. And then he started to pastor a church. And so I would go down there and meet with Jorge. And like every eight weeks, I'd go sit in his little hut. And at night, there would be this candle on his table. And we would just like sit there and just have our Bibles open in this little hut with palm fronds on it. You know, and his family would be like hanging out in a hammock. And we would just be like studying God's word. And every word we read, like, you could just see his eyes get so big to hear more about Jesus, to learn more about who Jesus was. And it didn't matter that him and I were about as opposite as you could get. All that we could think about in those moments, some of the sweetest moments of my life were that we were just sitting there thinking about our God. It was this common thing that bonded us together, no matter how different we were. I wonder how you would view people at school or in your groups, you know, where you, where you do life. 
that are different from you. Instead of looking at them and going, man, we are so different. Our personalities, our sense of humor, the way we dress, like everything about us is just so different. We can't hang out. We can't get along. I wonder what would happen if we recognized instead. We have the same God who loves us. We have the same thing to be excited about if we're both believers that we have Jesus as this thing that's uniting us. How would your life be different if you saw people through the eyes of Jesus instead of through your differences? Saw what Jesus has done for you and for them. I think it would change your life. It would change your friendships and the circles you walk in because he's that powerful. He says next, not just, right? Not just this unity of faith, but also this. And in the knowledge of the son of God. This knowledge he's talking about isn't just like no things like go do some Bible trivia and you'll be good, right? Like learn lots of like facts about the Bible and you can spew them out and like, no, that's not what it's saying. It's saying that you definitely need to study the Bible and learn it, but it's not just for knowledge that's up here. It's for this type of knowledge that it calls intimate, like the knowledge between a husband and wife, how deeply they know each other because they've walked together through difficult times and they're so close. That intimacy is what it's talking about. You have that intimacy with Jesus. You know how intimate it is? He's literally living inside of you. Since he dwells within you. He knows you so personally and so intimately. And the more you spend time with him, the better you know him. The more you trust him. When you see him show up in your life in the hard times and you're like, what am I going to do? And Jesus is like, here I am. And he comes through for you. You can go, hey, next time. When I walk up to this challenge, I can look back and go, wait, he was there last time. I know he's going to be here this time. And each time we're able to trust him more and more because there's more intimate knowledge of who he is. Like, I get it. You're going to be here for me. That's who you are. And there's no need to doubt that because you have that intimate knowledge of Christ. And that's what we do is we encourage each other, right? We build each other up till we reach that, like, that knowledge, intimacy with Jesus. I call you up and go, man, I'm just having a rough week and I just want to give up and I'm just done. And I'm just, I'm saying all this stuff that's just totally hopeless. And you're able to go, hey, listen, let me turn your eyes back to the one that matters. Don't give up. Don't go down that path, but instead look back to Jesus. You know what you're doing to that friend in that moment? You're building them up in love pushing them back toward this intimacy with Christ, reminding them who actually matters. That's our job. That's what we should be doing for each other. So stop for a second. Just quietly in your heart without saying it out loud. Are there people in your life you do that for? Are there people in your life that are doing that for you? Could you name someone tonight just in your own head or your own mind That is that. Maybe it's your life group leader is that person that's always loving you like that. Maybe it's a parent or a brother or sister or a friend, but are there people in your life that do that? If not, get some. (laughs) This place is full of them. Take advantage of your life groups and your life group leaders and your pastor and people here that say, we're here to do that, right? That's why Firehouse exists. We want to help you grow closer to Jesus. And if you're not getting that, come ask for it. We would love to do that for you, but we'd also love this, for you to be that for other people around you, 
to your friends and your family, to be that person that lifts others to be more like Christ, that intimate knowledge. And it's funny because some of us think a certain way about Jesus, right? We have kind of like our own pictures of who Jesus is in our heads. I had this college professor. It was like, it was a biology class. And I don't like science that much. I mean, I do now, but I didn't when I was in high school. I mean, college, it was like too hard and too much studying and lots of weird words you had to memorize. So I go to this class and I'm just like, I don't want to be here. And I sit down and uh, this dude walked in who apparently is the professor. And he's got like this big white long, you know, like lab coat on. And he's got huge, like thick glasses, way thicker and bigger than mine that almost looked like he got it out of a prop box, you know, for some like drama or play he was in. And like walks in and he's got all these papers. He's dropping them as he's coming into the classroom. They're falling all over the place. He's tripping. He gets to the front of the class. He like kind of like sits down exhausted. Like it was difficult just to get to the class. And then he's like pushing his glasses up and he's like, good morning class. (laughs) Like that, right? And I'm thinking like, all right, this is a joke. There are cameras or this is the funniest professor I've ever had. Like this guy's doing some sort of sketch. Like it's going to be hilarious. And then I find out after about 15 more minutes, he's still doing it. And I'm like, oh, wait, <laughs> like he ain't kidding. Like this dude's the biggest nerd I've ever met in my entire life. Like this guy is crazy. And at first I just, that's all I could see. I couldn't study in class. I couldn't pay attention. He would just keep pushing his glasses up and like sniffling with that really nasal voice. I was like, I'm going to fail this thing. I simply cannot focus. But then after a few weeks of hearing this guy, how, what a genius. Like this was a brilliant guy who, let me tell you this, this dude was on a team that actually, he cured Alzheimer's. You know what that is? In rats. Like, and that's a big step, right? You're like, it's a rat. But still, like, it's this huge step. It's a super hard thing to do. This guy was a genius. He's currently working on curing all, finding a cure for Alzheimer's in humans. Like, this dude knew his stuff. And by the end of this class, I thought this guy was, like, one of the greatest dudes I had ever met. But I had to get to know him. I had to sit there each week and hear him and hear his heart and hear him teach and find out about what he's doing in his life because it was so hard for me to get past this like initial view of him, right? This exterior. And some of us look at Jesus and we've got it all wrong. You've got a picture of Jesus in your head that is so warped and distorted. It's not even who he is. Some of you guys come here tonight and you're here for friends and your picture of Jesus is one where you're like, I'm running away from him. I don't want to have anything to do with that Jesus, that version of Jesus in my head. I don't want to have anything to do with church because it's going to be a certain way. And the problem is you haven't really experienced the true Jesus. You need to take the time to actually have a relationship with him and hear what he has to say to you. Stop and have the courage to open your heart up and say, speak to me. Let me know who you really are. Let me get to know you intimately. Let me let some people around me, like in this room, all right, or your small group, help speak into you and tell you who they've experienced Jesus to be. Maybe your heart just needs to open up so you can actually see the real Jesus. Find out how much he loves you, how much he cares about you, what he's done for you. And all of a sudden you get built up, right? And this intimate knowledge of who Jesus truly is. And then it says this, it says, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure 
of the fullness of Christ. So the goal here of what church is in this body of Christ is that you become mature, right? Not just mature like you're not a goofball anymore because you're a high schooler. Like you can still be a goofball and be mature in Christ. It's still possible. You can find a way, walk in the steps of Jesus and still be fun, right? You're not like giving up all that. Like he's not trying to change that of you. What he's trying to do is build something better in you. Trying to say, I want to put something in you that is a maturity that comes not just from your personality or your joking or your whatever. This comes from Christ himself. It's a spiritual maturity where you face a decision or temptation and you're able to look at it and go, no, that's not of Jesus. That doesn't honor God. I'm going to follow Christ. Why? Because you intimately know Christ. You know who he is. You know what he wants. You know how much he loves you. And so this, you, you recognize this. This is a trap. This is a lie. Because you know what's true. And you intimately look at Jesus and say, I'm following you. This is maturity that Jesus wants from us as we build each other up, right? Until we look just like him. It says the fullness of Christ. Until our heart looks just like the heart of Jesus. When you see hurting people, your heart breaks for them. When you see sin, you want to help people walk away from that sin and toward Jesus. When you see those who don't know the gospel, you want to share it because your heart is just like Jesus' heart. That's his maturity he's talking about. And he finishes by saying this. He says, then we will no longer be infants, right? Because we're mature now. We're not little babies. We're We're no longer infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. What this means is like, man, people are going to tell you lots of different things, (laughs) and they're going to try to convince you that they're right. And you're going to hear all sorts of stories and lies, and what Christ wants you to be able to do is notice the real thing. So when all of these other stories come your way and people trying to convince you that a certain thing is right, you already know truth. You've met him. You've walked with him. You've experienced him in your life. You're able to go, no, that's not true. I'm not going to be tossed around by everything people tell me one way to another. I am steady. I'm fixed on Jesus because you know his truth and you find it in his word. And the last verse here, verse 15, it says this. Instead, here's what he wants for us. Speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. That's a really important phrase. A lot of us feel like we speak truth, but we don't do it in love. There are lots of Christians who are like, man, I'm speaking truth to the world, and really they're just yelling hatred. Hateful words, they're unkind, and they're mean. Really what God wants for us is that we would speak truth, even when it's hard for people to hear, but we would do it in a way that's It's driven by love. I'm saying this really difficult thing to you because I want you to know him. I know he's the best thing for your life. I'm not doing it because I hate you or think you're my enemy. I'm doing it because I want to see you rescued by the Savior. That's the difference. We speak truth and love. That's a sign of maturity. What are your words like? What's your attitude like? How do you interact with people, your own parents? If we were to hear your words, 
just kind of played over the loudspeaker tonight from, from throughout the day, would we recognize them as words that are speaking truth in love? That's the goal. That's this maturity that Jesus wants for us. It says, so that we will grow to become every respect to the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ, right? So we look just like Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by supporting every ligament grows and builds itself up in love. Look at this last phrase. As each part does its work. Christ is our head, it says. He's the one that we all follow. As we gather behind Jesus, you know that you're a part of the body. Some of you guys are hands, right? Like you're, you're meant to serve. God designed you to serve the way Jesus did when he was on earth. You're his hands. You're to go out and serve people. And some of you guys are feet, and you're supposed to go. He's sending you places. He's taking you places. Some of y'all are mouths, right? And you're, you're designed to preach, to speak the truth, and to tell people about Jesus. Like we all have this like different gifting. We're all part of the body. We work together, but it says something here. It says that that happens when? When each part does its work. What happens when you're a foot and you're not working? You're not part of the body. You're not looking at Jesus and saying, what are you calling me to do today? It's like my knee. It's like, man, the whole body is just like, I can't even get over this little two-inch little step here. It cripples the body. It hurts the body. You're part of something bigger than yourself. You're part of what God wants to do to change this planet. Have you recognized that he's called you and gifted you? Here's what I want to offer you. Some of you guys are like, I have no clue how to even find out what part of the body I am or what my gifts are. We would love to help you figure that out, right? All you have to do is stop after service and and say, hey, Rob, how can we get together and figure this out? Or talk to your life group leader. Figure out what your gifts are. Some of you guys might not even know what the gifts are that are like that God gives us. We would love to talk you through that and help you figure out how God's designed you. When you start this new school year, you can go into the school year going, I know what part I am. I know how God's calling me to be used in my school campus this year. Right? Or or maybe maybe you're like, I know what part I am and what my gift is, but but I haven't done anything with it. <laughs> you said it. the body grows when we're all working, but I'm not working. I'm too focused on school and sports and my schedule and my friends and having fun, doing all these other things. But I can't tell you the last time I just served people or served Jesus. Maybe, maybe you're here and you're like, I would love to find out how I can serve at Firehouse. Listen, we have a lot of ways you could serve here. We got student leadership teams. If you're a student leader, raise your hand real quick. All right, so there's some people on student leadership team. The band, raise your hand if you're in our, our, our worship team or any part of worship team. Like there are hands all over the place, right? And there's, there are lots of places to serve. There are people, students currently serving at Firehouse. How many of y'all are going to Guatemala this year? Raise your hand. See mission. Where's our apostles out there, missionaries, right? You look around you, you can ask some of these people, hey, how'd you get involved at Firehouse? I want to I serve, or maybe Sunday morning in church, or maybe it's some other thing. But listen, I'd love to help you walk down that road and figure it out. It might not be served here. 
But I'd love to help you figure out where it is God is calling you to do that. So before you leave tonight, come talk to me. Talk to your life group leader and just say, look, I want to serve Jesus. I haven't been doing it, but I want to. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Band's going to come up and lead us in some more worship. And as they do, I just want you to just be honest with yourself for a second. And ask yourself that question. Am I actually serving? (laughs) Or am I just saying I am, but really I'm not actually doing a thing where I stop and ask God, like, what is it you'd have me do? Say, Lord, will you make that apparent to my heart?